MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 137 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, September 6th, and we have a ton to cover today, including updates from the Fulton County racketeering case and the numerous speedy trial filings, motions to sever and motions to remove the case to federal court. Yeah, and not to mention what happened with the one detained defendant, Harrison Floyd. And the defendants who haven't waived their arraignments and pled not guilty will be in court today as the episode airs. And finally, we also have an update on Peter Navarro, whose trial is underway this week. Yep. And uh, what I think is the story of the week we're going to be covering, that's Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss winning a default judgment, a partial default judgment in their defamation case against Rudy Giuliani. But first, let's thank our new patrons to become a patron and get these episodes ad free as well as Invites to our Zoom calls and access to the weekend bonus episodes. Head to patreon.com slash aisle45pod. That's A-I-S-L-E 45-P-O-D. Whatever name you sign up with, we'll read on the show. Uh, this week's new patrons include Lisa Heydrich, Claire Mavani, uh, Sin Russell, Melanie Gordon, Jonathan Frankel, Alicia Simon, Maria Loves BTS, Lori Young, Jim M. Hallowell, Michael Bonello, Mary Gilmore, Mark P., J-Dub 047, Marika Gerard, Jennifer Poplowski, M-A-K-B, Pam Robinson. Thank you all so much. You make this show go. All right. Let's start with what I think, like I said, is the story of the week. I know we usually start down in Fulton County, but I want to start in New York. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss have won their defamation case against Rudy Giuliani. And this is a big deal, Pete, because we never see default judgments in defamation cases, even in Fox News. I mean, they found out they had a partial default judgment where they didn't have to prove falsity during trial, but they still had to prove actual malice during trial. But here, because of severe sanctions, a motion for severe sanctions filed by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss that Rudy Giuliani was you know, hiding his assets and not being forthcoming in the discovery process with his documents saying that, well, the FBI seized it all and I just didn't have any access to it and I'm broke and, and you know, I, whatever his, his, you know, excuses were. Uh, by the way, along with uh, what, uh, Catherine Fries, Bernie Carrick, Bernard Carrick, former New York City police commissioner, uh, and um, and Jenna Ellis as well. They're all not being very uh, forthcoming in discovery. The judge decided, hey, you get a default judgment. We don't have to prove anything in court, but we will go to trial to determine damages. So this is very bad news for Rudy. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, so, so Chief Judge uh, Beryl Howell in D.C. handed down this decision, and it's 57 pages long. It is, if you want something that will both outrage you and simultaneously make you feel the appropriate outcomes reach, you know, pull it up. But she just eviscerates Giuliani. I mean, going through all of the things that he failed. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just not turning over material that he should have turned over in discovery. She goes so far as to say that, look, you know, and this is a quote from, from the uh, finding, plaintiffs persuasively argued that the only reasonable explanation for Giuliani's failure to take any reasonable preservation steps, quote, is that he did so deliberately to deny plaintiffs and the scores of other plaintiffs and government entities litigating and investigating his actions during and after the 2020 presidential elections, evidence that would be helpful to their case. Despite repeated requests for details about his preservation efforts by plaintiffs' counsel on December 21st and January 6th, 
and in Giuliani's deposition, Giuliani finally answered that the only preservation effort he took was to turn off auto-delete on an enumerated list of devices and possibly on his communications accounts. And <laughs> did, you know, so he, it isn't just he didn't do it. It's like this guy who's a lawyer. And again, I think he's been a lawyer for more than, longer than I've been alive. And, and you have been alive, you know, 55, 55, a long time, more than I think 54, 55 years, doing the fundamental things that the law requires. And so I think Judge Howell looking at this said, look, you, you, you can't, you know, not, not only you, you should have known given your you know, generations-long career as an attorney, you absolutely should have known the things that you were obligated to do as part of discovery and preserving evidence and pointing out that, look, it's not just for, for Moss and Freeman. It's for every other single entity that's looking at the alleged crimes that took place during the election. And you know, essentially saying there is a persuasive argument that the only explanation Rudy did it is to destroy it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a stunning thing. The, the sanction is the, the summary judgment, the default judgment that he's guilty. And so now they, you know, they, there will be a trial and that trial will be to determine the amount of damages that Moss and Freeman are entitled to. And I hope that, you know, it's, a, well, we'll see what it is. I mean, you know, as, as we've joked about, you know, <laughs> a bunch of times, the two turntables and a microphone that, that Rudy claims to have as assets, you know, hopefully will be enhanced by the sale of this New York, uh, condominium that he, he's put on the market, but there there will be a trial and there'll be a trial in DC. And I am very interested to see what sort of information is brought into that trial to demonstrate not only the, you know, certainly the harm that Moss and Freeman uh, suffered, but the things that Rudy did and didn't do because this, you know, it's a scathing 57 page opinion. Yeah, and and the punitive damages will be allowed. That's where we can get into the millions of dollars, um, I, which I imagine this will be uh, once this trial, once you know everything is said and done. And and my, you know, my first thought was, wow, did he just get off the hook uh, for having to turn over everything? And the answer is no, not really, because something else Judge Howell said in this scathing ruling is that he has one last chance to hand everything over, and if he does not. The jury may then have, you know, have a negative inference, infer that he is hiding assets and information. So he doesn't exactly get off the hook. But if, you know, Pete, if the whole point is to for them, Carrick, Freese, Ellis and Rudy to not turn over all the evidence they have, which probably clearly shows that they knew that they were bullshitting everybody, he may not have to turn this over um, and just have to, you know, lose this and, and pay what is owed or what the jury determines is owed to Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, which might be the whole point here. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I, I'll be interested to see what kind of money makes its way from Trump packs over to, to Rudy Giuliani once this is all said and done. But we've already had a $350,000 payment go over for trust point for discovery that clearly wasn't used. Uh, or, you know, I don't know if it wasn't used. They may, they may have, he may have paid trust point directly. Uh, without going through Rudy. But regardless, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this shakes out, because if the entire point is to pay $10 million to not have to turn over this evidence so that every other entity can get its eyes on it, this might come out the way they want it to. Yeah. And imagine how bad it must be. Imagine how bad that information must be if you were willing to reason. I mean, again, Rudy's not stupid. He, he may be, I don't know, crazy or not, but he has been a lawyer for a long time. He understands I would think that there is a reasonable chance that this would be the outcome of his behavior, that these are the the expected consequences of his failure to adhere to his discovery obligations. And so whatever is in that information is so bad, it is, in my opinion, his perception is whatever is in that information is so bad that he would sooner have a default judgment against him in a defamation trial than turn it over. And that that calculus that, oh God, I, 5 million, 10 million, however many million, that is better than having all this information out. So that's, you know, that's that's one thing. And and the second thing is remember too that DOJ seized Rudy's devices way back. I mean, when we're talking way back with his, you know, alleged to pair shenanigans with Lev Partisan Igor Fruman and Victoria Tonsig and Joe to Genova, you know, back in the day, there were, I believe, several search warrants between devices and online accounts relating to Rudy that there's information already in the government's possession, the federal government's possession oh, yeah. in this case. Yeah, April 2018 and April 2021, Barbara Jones appointed special master in both of those cases. They have their eyes on all of that. So it seems 
like this might be a Pyrrhic victory to pay $10 million or whatever to not have to hand anything over. When the DOJ probably, I, I, I would say I, I would give it a 99.99% chance that they already have the information that, that is being sought in discovery in this trial. Yeah, I'm not sure it will be. Again, I expect when we see on the federal side, whenever Jack Smith gets around to indicting people other than Trump in D.C., whether it's co-conspirator one through six, whether that's additional people, that that is the point in time where we might see some information related to uh, Giuliani. And again, you know, part of the reason that they may scope or have scoped the charges against Trump the way they have is that the the discovery obligations may be impacted by having just Trump and limiting those charges. But then, you know, at some point, Rudy's going to see if and when he's charged federally, the the government is going to have to turn over the information that they have, the evidence that they have, and he'll be able to get a sense of what was recovered. And to the extent there's any delta, in other words, if there's if there are things that the government didn't turn over, kind of showing the hand that they don't have it, Juliana will be able to like compare everything he did with the subset of what the government turned over and say, okay, either they got everything, you know, that 99.99% or, oh gosh, there's this, you know, missing 20% five months of stuff that I did on my signal account or whatever Rudy does, um, that that will, <laughs> that, that'll allow him more certainty about what the government does or doesn't know. But right now he's got to assume, I think they have everything or most everything. And that ambiguity, you know, in some ways, you know, I know all of us are probably First, I know I am, you know, waiting to see additional federal indictments, but that ambiguity in the minds of people like Rudy Giuliani and, uh, you know, Eastman and Clark and Powell and the rest, that that does not help them in the context of this other legal exposure they have across the board. And yeah, think about Rudy. Rudy is facing charges, criminal charges in Georgia. He is facing this defamation trial. He is facing, okay, you know, other, Rudy, he's already been disbarred, right? So it just never... The, the fall for me, looking at Rudy, the, the stunning fall from grace of the man. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, we kind of over, you know, over put on, you know, rose colored glasses looking back at his time in New York City as America's mayor following 9 11, that he was actually a real jerk a lot of the time as mayor. But regardless of what you think about his time as the mayor, the fact that, or, you know, his penchant for perp walk, you know, introducing the perp walk as a feature of, you know, prosecutions during his time as U.S. Attorney in the Southern District of New York. Wh- whatever you think of his performance on those jobs, the fact of the matter is he was a very, you know, well-known, powerful prosecutor and later mayor. And now he's, you know, he's stuffing his damn shorts in a Borat movie. He's, you know, been, you know, found to not honor the fundamental things in our justice system of, you know, not destroying evidence adhering to the laws of discovery being investigated for how drunk he was when yeah. he was advi- advising the president yeah right and whether or not everybody asking it's like well was he sober when he was providing legal legal advice to trump and whether or not that could be a defense i mean it, it's just a it is a, a you know it'll, it'll be an interesting biography to read one day uh, about the sort of arc of you know down into the toilet and the you know his association with Trump in the final years of his life. Yeah. And and I'm of the mind that, you know, I don't know necessarily that and I've spoken with you about this. I've spoken with Andy McCabe about this on the Jack podcast. I don't know that we'll see uh, in, uh, co-conspirators indicted by Jack Smith for January 6th until after the Trump case is, is done, because I think the last thing Jack Smith wants to do is muck up this very simple one defendant four count charge with a trial set to go in March with other co-defendants trying to consolidate and add on and latch on and, you know, um, delay with the discovery and all kinds of, uh, you know, every time you add a moving part to the case, you you add potential for delay. And uh, one of the reasons that this case is going so quickly and that Judge Chutkin uh, was able to schedule a March trial date is because of the simplicity of it. And so I, I'm of the mind that we might not see a Rudy indictment out of Jack Smith uh, and his special counsel office until mid next year, which would be fine because there's no election considerations for any of them. uh, And there's no statute of limitations considerations uh, barring them. I think the only worry is that, you know, if a Republican wins, they could all be pardoned before they go to prison. But Honestly, I mean, that's the case, regardless of whether you get the thing done six months before or six months after. 
Uh, and, you know, we just have to vote to prevent that from happening. That That's a that's a an eventuality that has nothing to do with the time clock, honestly. So we'll see what ends up happening in these cases. And, and you know, we'll follow them closely. But, uh, you know, he is in a lot of trouble. And this this summary judgment uh, default judgment doesn't help him at all, whether it's legally or financially. <laughs> so, yeah, and he keeps, you know, it'll have a less thought for me on this. And he keeps shooting himself in the damn foot. I mean, he's claiming that he doesn't have any resources. And at the same time, one of the things that was noted in this opinion, I think, was he shows up to Georgia in a private jet. And so after claiming, oh, I don't have the money, I don't have the money to pay my bills, I don't have the money to buy a new pair of shoelaces, I'm bad. But somebody, some way, somehow, He's not, not, not on Delta, not even Delta first class for premium economy. He's in a private jet coming down, flying into uh, the Atlanta airport, you know, hopping in a big black, uh, you know, SUV and driving to the, the, the Bryce Street Trail. So it, 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 he, he, whether it's just, I don't give a damn, whether it's just complete ignorance about the appearance of what he's doing versus what he's claiming in court. It is odd, but again, everybody's taking notice and it's not working for him. But he just, you know, time and time and time again seems to keep doubling down. So God knows where we'll get by the time damages roll around at the end of trial. But we'll, we'll see soon enough. And again, we'll, we'll cover it all right here. So keep tuning in and we will keep you up to speed on everything that's going on with this. <laughs> oh, we certainly will. And uh, we're about to keep you up to speed on what's going on the latest down in Fulton County with arraignments, et cetera. But we have to take a quick break, so everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, welcome back. We have more patrons to thank. Star Lanus, Cynthia Merritt, Doris Eads, Shelley Nolan, Sad-Eyed Parrothead, listening to music that makes me smile. Jane Alstrom, yeah, the Jimmy Buffett passed away uh, just a few days ago, and I know there are a lot of folks out there who are feel feel the same. Uh, Jane Alstrom, Nicole M. Fitzsimmons, T.T. Psalm Ray, Thomas Donnelly, Allison Finlay. They knew he was a snake when they took him in. Manny <laughs> Ledoux, Ben Burble, Naya E., Kevin Jones, Paul Gillis, and Ruth Greenblatt. 
thank you all so much again you know as, uh, you do make this show possible you make it run get all the uh, the production done and we simply couldn't do any of this uh, without your help so thanks for being part of the family thanks for your support and so let's go down to georgia i mean you were talking about how you know that part of what jack smith might be doing is to keep it simple by having one defendant and a, a simple set of charges if you want to contrast that let's compare and contrast it to the 19 defendants uh, down in Fulton County. So today, arraignment is today, September 6th. And as we're taping this on Tuesday the 5th, only of the 19, only Misty Hampton did not waive arraignment and plead not guilty. So out of that whole group, you know, we've had all of them, the the arraignments um, waived or complete. Meadows had a hearing for removal to federal court. We are waiting to, and that should be coming uh, anytime. Uh, the ruling on that. And what's interesting was what, you know, in, in the response, because of course Meadows took the stand, which I think surprised a lot of folks and the calculus was, okay, if you're, you know, if it is anytime you take the stand in a hearing, you open yourself up to cross-examination and there is a huge amount of risk in doing that. And a couple of things, one, the the speculation amongst a lot of attorneys that I saw that I think makes sense is they felt that this information was so critical that they had to get it in before the judge. Two, that the only person that could do it was Mark Meadows, that ideally you'd find a different witness who uh, you know, was there and present when something was said or done. But in this case, the only person they could find to do that was Mark Meadows. So there was certainly a lot of risk in doing that. And one of the risky things that uh, appears that you know Meadows said information during his cross-examination by the folks in the Fulton County DA's office said things that were at odds with previous sworn testimony. So it does look like by, you know, some interpretations that Meadows may have purged himself on the stand. You know, Fannie Willis noted that in her response to Judge Jones. She didn't outright say, you know, Meadows perjured himself and, and there's no indication whether or not they're going to seek any sort of superseding charges. But it does highlight not only the danger of Meadows having taken the stand, but also you know, there there's a lot of you know, but in a in a different case, but we'll talk about later. You know, weak sauce, right? That that Meadows a lot of the things that he's claiming. You know, try he was just he was just the chief of staff. All of these things were in the course of his official duties. It clearly, you know, there's some there's some problematic conflict in what he's saying uh, across these events. And so I don't, you know, we'll see whether or not it results in additional charges. I certainly think it doesn't help anytime a prosecutor says. Hey, there is reason to disbelieve things that Meadows said on the stand under oath because, oh, by the way, here's an example of him contradicting himself. That's not going to do you any uh, real <laughs> favors in the eyes of the judge trying to uh, to view that. And, you know, in addition to that, there there's some, you know, uh, Judge Luding filed an amicus brief to remand the case to state court. You know, there there's a lot of good lawyering going on arguing against it. Of course, there are all these other folks, you know, after Meadows did, Clark and all the, you know, the other electors have filed to move to federal court as well. You know, Jeff Clark's hearing, I think, is on the 18th, so not for another couple of weeks. Um, and the, the, yes, I did say the electors. The electors claim that because they're quote unquote contingent electors, therefore they're federal officers. Which I don't, I don't, I, I don't know that the law works that way. But you know, no, hey, you gotta... it, it doesn't. And for and by the way, they didn't have the the language on their certificate that said they were contingent electors. I love how they're trying to shove that in there and try to be Pennsylvania real fast, so so that they could say, hey, it was just a contingency. No, you said you signed a piece of paper that said you were the duly sworn elector. Not what they did in Pennsylvania, which is we'll sign this, but we're only the electors if this gets overturned in court. And Fonnie Willis brought a lot of this up in her response to the judge asking, should this be moved to federal court? You know, she said, look, you 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 aren't you just you simply aren't federal officers. And all of this was litigated in Georgia and lost before you signed this piece of paper. So we can't know that doesn't work. Um, but she also brought up the fact because Judge Jones in the federal court asked both parties to respond to one of his questions, which was if just one of Meadows's overt acts could be said that it was under color of his office. Does that mean the whole thing can be moved to federal court? That gave Fonnie Willis a chance to weigh in and weigh in. She did. She explained, Judge. That's not you don't. Well, she didn't say it this way, but basically you don't understand the nature of the RICO, the RICO statute. Let me explain the nature of the Georgia RICO statute. What it says is 
You don't have to have any of your overt acts proven as long as two predicate acts by any member of the criminal enterprise are proven. Then everyone is responsible for everybody else's shit. So she said, even if just one, what you're insinuating, Judge, by asking if one was under color of office is you're insinuating that one would be not under the color of office. And that would be more than what you need to remand it to state court. Because they, like I said, there needs to be zero things that Mark Meadows did over acts in order for him to be guilty of, of, of racketeering here. In fact, you know, and I spoke to Dave Ehrenberg about this. I spoke to um, a, a former AUSA, a couple of different lawyers down in Georgia, um, uh, Mr. Kreiss as well, who's a, who's a law professor, Professor Kreiss, uh, at uh, Georgia, University of Georgia uh, Law School, that because of the RICO statute, Meadows could be found guilty of racketeering if only the overt predicate criminal acts are proven from the people who tried to intimidate Ruby Freeman. Uh, their acts or Sidney Powell's acts stuff. And, you know, because <laughs> Cheesebro is trying to sever from Sidney Powell, she's also responding. You don't understand how Rico works just because you didn't have anything to do with Sidney Powell's part of this conspiracy doesn't mean you didn't agree to be part of this criminal enterprise. Therefore, if it is found that you are, you are responsible for Sidney Powell's actions as well. So let's talk a little bit about the, the motions to sever because there's there's quite a few, right? We had we had Sidney Powell and Cheesebro and a few other people want a speedy trial in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fonnie Willis said, yeah, cool. October's good with me. Let's get all 19 defendants in October. And the judge said, no, we'll, we'll just get Cheesebro uh, in October. And she said, all right, well, at the very least, can we have a sever, a hearing on severing? So because you didn't say that they've officially severed from the rest of the group. Uh, but I would also like to try all defendants who want to file to sever or file for speedy trial to be tried together in October. We haven't got a ruling quite uh, yet on that, but I think we're going to end up with uh, like uh, three different buckets uh, of trial here, right? We're going to get speedy trial folks, whether we get them all together or not, I assume we're going to get them all together. There's a pretty good argument to try them together. Then we'll have people who are waiving their right to a speedy trial. You can't really force somebody to go to trial early because one of their co-defendants wants to go early because you do give up some rights. And then we'll have anybody who might be moved to federal court, though I don't think any of them will, but we haven't got uh, a judgment on that yet. We might have a judgment on that by the time this episode airs because Judge Jones said he will rule uh, on that as soon as possible, the moving you know, Meadows to federal to federal trial. And Meadows... If anybody could be moved to federal right. court, he's the number one, right? Yep. And nobody yep. else would, would, if he doesn't make it, nobody's going to make it. So exactly. we might have a, a, a hearing or we might have a, a ruling on that by the time this episode airs. Uh, if we do, we'll obviously talk about it this weekend on the bonus episode for patrons. But I mean, I think that's kind of once all this dust settles from all the filings, speedy trial, moving out of, uh, to moving to federal court. And, uh, you know, people who don't want a speedy trial, I think that's probably what we're going to end up with is 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 two or three uh, different like sets of, of folks. Yeah. And what will be interesting out of that two or three, you know, certainly the ones not the ones I think who are asking for a speedy trial, because clearly, at least at this point, there's some indication they want to go to trial. I, you know, out of the other two buckets, the lower level folks, you know, the 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 fake electors, whether or not they choose to. Uh, enter into a plea deal and provide testimony against the others is going to be another interesting thing to watch. Again, I don't think that's going to be out of the group asking for a speedy trial. I think it's most likely in the contingent elector bucket. Maybe we'll see. Maybe some of the Coffee County folks. Obviously, that's Sydney Powell because she's in the you know asking for the uh, uh, the the speedy trial. But maybe some of the other folks at the lower level who are involved with the uh, Coffee County. Uh, election machine stuff might uh, uh, plead as well. And if they plead, what they might have to say, the testimony they might provide, and some of it, you know, they they don't have a whole lot of incentive to cooperate with Trump. I mean, Trump is not paying for, by all accounts for anybody's representation. Trump can't pardon them in the state of Georgia. So I, I would not be surprised to see a few folks, uh, a few plea deals 
eventually coming out, you know, sooner rather than later, I don't know. But you're right. I completely agree on Mark Meadows. If it, and it's good that his removal of the federal court decision is coming the first because I think by far and away, he has the strongest argument to do it. I, I don't think he will get there based on what I've seen. But if he does not, for the rest, I'm there. If you're, if you're, you know, Cheesebro or Eastman, forget it. I, it, it. Or Rudy, it's not, it's not, let alone the contingent elector, federal official argument, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And Jeffrey Clark has a hearing scheduled on September 18th for his removal to federal court. And if we get a no on Meadows, it could moot Clark's argument. We might see that happen. Or maybe he gets to come in and argue his case on September 18th. I'm not sure. And then, you know, it'll be interesting to see if um, Misty Hampton, who is the only person who has not waived arraignment and pled not guilty, um, maybe is thinking about flipping. But who, but maybe not. Maybe she's just going to show up for arraignment. Maybe she'll file later today. Um, I We don't know. And and something else that happened, too. Uh, Governor Kemp has now appointed a three-panel commission to determine whether or not State Senator Sean Still should be suspended. He's one of the indicted um, members of this criminal enterprise in the, you know, in the sweeping indictment from Fonnie Willis. And under Georgia law, because he's been indicted, uh, he can also be suspended from the Senate, and this three-panel commission will make that determination. He, he and I believe they have thirty days, no, two weeks, two weeks to file their report. Uh, so we should know that pretty soon whether or not they're going to suspend him from the Georgia State Senate. I don't think it'll make a big dent in the massive, you know, majority that Republicans have in the state Senate down there. But whether or not he's fit to serve will be determined by three Republicans appointed by. Governor Kemp. Uh, and Governor Kemp has also um, said that anybody trying to remove the DA, uh, you know, under this new Georgia law where they can have a commission like impeach her or remove her, uh, he has come out against that uh, as well. He doesn't really have a say in it, but he's a pretty strong voice for the Republican Party in Georgia. Uh, and the Speaker of the House, Republican, has also said he doesn't support that. And that's where that has to get through. It has to get through. Uh, the House to get that done. So I don't see uh, Fonnie Willis being removed from this case uh, in, in with, you know, with regard to that new Georgia law. Yep, I agree. I agree. And that's, you know, good news. And, you know, whatever comes down the pike, it's not going to be the, you know, the advantage of both the speedy trials and even even with a broader, larger group, it may take some time. And I know some of the other, you know, there have been a lot of articles that have popped up, you know, comparing other RICO cases in Fulton County and the amount of time. But even if this is slow, I, I think the, the the near to midterm it looks looks like a, a stable place for Bonnie Willis, which is good for the for these prosecutions. Yep, agreed. All right, we have more news to get to, but we have to take another quick break. So everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped 
of kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We have more patrons to thank this week. Kristen White, Linda Dowden, Stephanie Martin, Susie 5000, Steve, Kate O'Neill, Ciara, Martha Diebolt. Oh, hi, Martha. Uh, Rebecca Stoiler. Pete Navarro looks nothing like Dave Navarro, but it's funnier to picture Dave when Allison gives a Pete update. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Melissa Stewart, James Kilpack, Lee, Jean Hetherington, Elizabeth Johnson, Laura, Karen Sabine, and Spike Priggan. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Time for the curious case of Harrison Floyd. So he surrendered on Friday with everybody else that Friday, uh, and then was remanded to to jail that weekend, and uh, then came out the other side, I think on Tuesday, released on bond with money helped raise by Steve Bannon, and now Roger Stone is actually backing this guy. He's one of the guys who intimidated Ruby Freeman, tried to make her, tried to basically force her to lie uh, that she had participated in voter fraud, um, you know, saying, hey, you don't want to get, people are out to get you, and there were people knocking on her door. It was just, she, it was very um, harrowing for, for Ruby Freeman to go through that kind of intimidation. Now, he says he was the only detained member of this 19 co-defendant uh, contingency cadre because he is black. Uh, however, there has been audio released by Fonnie Willis's office of a phone call made by Fonnie Willis to Harrison Floyd on the Friday he surrendered, offering him a consent bond, to which he refused, you know, consent bond to get out, which he refused. And so a lot of this also has to do with the fact that he was arrested earlier this year uh, on a mist, or at least a warrant was out for his arrest, I should say, uh, because he hasn't been indicted that we know of, unless it's under seal somewhere on a docket that, that I haven't been able to find. But he uh, apparently assaulted an FBI agent who was trying to serve him with a subpoena for Jack Smith's investigation to the federal grand jury for his testimony. And, you know, the news there is that, oh, holy shit, the Department of Justice and Jack Smith have been investigating the intimidation of Ruby Freeman, or at least something else Harrison Floyd did in connection with the 2020 election since early this year. So that's sort of what the, 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 the mystery or the curious case part is that the docket's been empty. The federal docket's been empty. There's no indictment there. There's no preliminary hearing. There's no motions to delay a preliminary hearing because of plea negotiations. There's just nothing there. So, I mean, that could mean any number of things. Um, Either maybe they just decided that they weren't going to pursue these charges. Uh, It seems like if he were cooperating, he wouldn't have spent a weekend in jail. But I'm not sure. What what are your thoughts on this guy, Pete? No, I agree. It's totally weird. So the backstory is that, uh, as you as you indicated, some agents working with Jack Smith went to serve him a subpoena. They were trying to find him, talked with his, it appears, his mother at some point. Mother then was in contact with Floyd, told him it, it appears that, hey, you know, the FBI is trying to get the subpoena to you. The FBI shows up at his residence, uh, talks to him over the intercom, it looks like, and at some point then follows him in to the apartment and as he's trying to give him the subpoena and he's you know kind of not being uh, uh, cooperative as he goes to close the door the agents try and put the subpoena into the apartment and so it sticks you know it gets caught in the door between the door and the door frame and then at that point he comes out and he you know by the the, the allegations are that he assaulted one of the agents you know kind of pushed him it, it appears uh and was yelling at him at some point said maybe that he was you know going in to, to get his gun but it's not like he didn't know who these folks were. It wasn't like, you know, hey, I thought, you know, I was in a dark alley and these strangers approached me and I thought they were going to rob me. I mean, this guy clearly knew from his, you know, no less than his mother that the FBI was trying to find him and the agents identified themselves and said they were trying to give him the subpoena. So, 
it is weird, one, that there isn't anything out there. I don't know if it's the kind of thing that he was not, you know, typically, you know, there's there's assault if you kind of like scuffle with an agent and then there's assault if you're like, you know, think about January 6th, right? You're beating somebody with a flagpole or you're wrestling on the ground trying to get their gun off the officer. Those are, those are very different kinds of assault. So, I don't know if it's the sort of thing where the local U.S. Attorney's Office is sitting there saying, well, do we charge this or not if there are other things going on behind the scenes? But you're right. I don't... I don't understand the games that he played to go, you know, by all accounts. And we talked about this, both, you know, certainly on bonus episodes, but on the, on the regular podcast as well. Rice Street Jail in Fulton County is a nasty, awful, horrible place. Nobody, you know, it's under investigation by the Department of Justice for inhumane conditions. Everybody universally talks about what a miserable place it is. And I can't see anybody in their right mind saying, yeah, you know, I, I have been offered bail, right? A consent bond, rather. And to refuse it and say no, I'm going to go to jail instead. Why? To make to make a to to make a better story to go work with Steve Bannon to fundraise off of. I, it strikes me as odd because the minute he goes on and says, "Oh, they held me because I'm black. I'm the only black guy," then you get this tape coming out saying, "No, that's bullshit." Right? You, you add this opportunity that the DA's office offered you this consent bond, but you said no. And so I don't I, I don't know the calculus going on there. I don't think you know whatever paltry amounts Steve Bannon managed to help him raise. I don't know that it uh, offset sort of the the time and trouble of, you know, going to jail. And I don't, I, it is bizarre and weird to me what's going on in the, in the federal context. You know, he certainly, you know, they subpoenaed him because they wanted his testimony as a witness. So that doesn't, it doesn't mean one way or the other that he is a subject, let alone a target, you know, of course, you know, if he was subpoenaed in the federal system to give testimony, if he went there, is a Fifth Amendment right to not say anything to the grand jury that would uh, that would incriminate him. So what his role is and whether or not he has any federal exposure, I don't know. But it's a bizarre little, I mean, there's so many bizarre things, right? In this whole, the, the whole cast of any group of 19, you're going to get, you know, a whole bunch of weirdness. But it doesn't, it, it, it's a weird, weird side note. And whether or not, you know, they're going to wait if he's going to get charged to say, well, let's wait before we charge him with any sort of AF or assault on a federal officer. Let's see if he's got any culpability in other crimes and just do it all at once. I don't know. But uh, we have not. One thing I guarantee you, we have not heard the end of Harrison Floyd. And I'm not talking in Georgia. I'm talking about in D.C., in the federal level. I, I think there's more to come with him. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And, um, you know, it's of note, too, Trevion Cootie uh, didn't spend the weekend in jail. She's black. Um, and also I would be very interested to see if any, you know, shell companies owned by Harrison Floyd receive an influx of cash from uh, Infowars or, you know, something, <laughs> follow the money. Um, uh, but you know, you, you do these things, um, Mr. Floyd at your own peril, because if you think that Jack Smith isn't following the money or doesn't have that information, um, you would probably, it would behoove you to not think that. Uh, I'm just going to say that. I, I, and after having seen what evidence Jack Smith has been able to, or the DOJ in general, even back in the Mueller investigation, what they've been able to uncover, um, I, I wouldn't take my chances uh, going up against the federal government in, in that sense and hoping that they don't catch you in some sort of a, a bad act. Um, wouldn't uh, wouldn't be a good idea. All right, we have still more news to come, but we do have to take one final a quick break. Uh, we're going to cover a few other outstanding cases that we're outstanding as in we haven't talked about them yet, not outstanding as in they're awesome, but they are. Uh, and we'll talk about them as soon as we uh, have this quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA 
As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Welcome back. Time for our Hall of Favors. We've got Top Secret, Redacted, Redacted, Orcon, No Foreign, FISA, Cindy McNary, <laughs> Maria Tobar, Caroline Komen, Fran Reichenbach, Suzanne Ashworth, and Tiffany Trump was adopted. Thank all of you. <laughs> you, 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 are truly, you are truly the superstars of the superstars. Uh, you, you go above and beyond uh, and are, are really absolutely special parts of the family to make this happen. Can't thank you enough. Thank you for your support, and and you're just simply awesome. So thank all of you. Yeah, it's so, like our it's like our producers club level, right? Like you, <laughs> it's uh, people who uh, who uh, pledge ten dollars per episode. So wow, um, we that's just the coolest thing. Uh, we appreciate you so much. Yeah, and, and speaking of cool things, let's talk about Peter <laughs> Navarro goes to Washington. His trial is underway. Jury selection started on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, it's the time of taping that was still going on, but I would expect, uh, you know, fairly quickly, DC's got uh, quite always interesting candidate uh, pools for jurors that come in, but I would expect within a day or two, we'll have a jury seated for his trial, which isn't a particularly complicated one. I would anticipate, you know, this is for contempt of Congress and his primary defense that, uh, you know, this was uh, covered by executive privilege was shot down by Judge Mehta. And so I think it's going to be, he doesn't have a whole lot of defenses out there. And frankly, his, his conduct is, in my opinion, frankly, indefensible. But I don't think it'll be a particularly complex case, but he is facing up to a year in jail. So we will see, you know, and regardless of what happens, you know, just like Steve Bannon has been found guilty of contempt, right? I mean, that's been out pending appeal for, it seems like forever, but this is not, you know, this is a step in the process for Peter Navarro is... You pointed out when you attended an earlier hearing where he was pacing around the table like a you know a small kindergartner that will see if during trial he can actually sit down at the defendant's table or not. But that's that's underway, and it's uh, you know we'll be talking about it certainly at the the bonus episode and again on the <laughs> podcast next week. No, I'm sure he's not sitting down. Um, I I just have the James song in my oh sit down oh sit down oh. like I, like just sit down. He just he wouldn't. Uh, but you know, okay, whatever, whatever. It back when I was in the in the Navy at, at Nuke School, if we if we couldn't stay awake, we had to stand up in the back of the classroom. Maybe maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe um, that's falling, it. Maybe he's <laughs> falling asleep at his own trial. Um, so yeah, it'll be. I, we'll we'll keep an eye on this trial for you. Uh, I, I I'm like you. I imagine he'll be found guilty. He'll get one to four months, probably the same sentence as Steve Bannon, since they're similarly situated. And sentencing recommendation guidelines always say you have to kind of target your sentence to similarly situ situated uh, convicted folks. Uh, and I imagine he will also be let out uh, on a pending appeal since Bannon was. He does have a pretty good argument there. Bannon's out pending his appeal. Why not me? Uh, he's the only other guy in the history of the universe right now that has the exact same case as I do. So, we, you know, we should be we should be doing the same thing. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see what we'll see what ends up happening. Also, in the New York Attorney General case, she has filed, uh, Tish James has filed for a partial summary judgment. She's asking for $250 million 
in the civil fraud case against Trump and his adult sons. Remember, Ivanka was removed from that case. I don't know why, but she was. Um, And so that is waiting to be ruled on. And this just in, she has also filed a motion for $20,000 in sanctions against Trump, his lawyers, his adult sons and associates for repeating legal arguments that have no merit that were already rejected by a judge as borderline frivolous. So she has filed a sanctions motion in this case. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to bet if I was a betting person and I am, I bet all the time. I put beans on stuff all the time. I think that uh, she'll win this sanctions motion. Yeah, and again, it's not the the amount twenty thousand dollars isn't a big deal. But again, this isn't this. These aren't damages. These aren't any sort of you know finding of you know the conclusion of some sort of civil trial. This is where you're being penalized. We're asking for you to be penalized for bad behavior for not playing by the rules. And if there's not just what gets me out of this, like looking across all these sanctions, like Trump has been sanctioned before. You know, he's been sanctioned in the frivolous lawsuit he brought against. Hillary Clinton and me and, you know, a bunch of others for RICO who's sanctioned nearly a million dollars, a million dollars for that along with Lena Haba. Rudy's getting sanctioned. All of these sanctions are for not following the rules that every single other person in the judicial process typically follows. Sanctions are not an ordinary, normal thing. But yet, every time we look at Trump and all this entire, the aisle 45, right? All of it. If you just bad behavior after bad behavior after bad behavior... And, you know, and there was something where like, was it, it just, it, it doesn't, it isn't limited to one person. It isn't limited to one case. It is just going on everywhere. And we'll see if you're right. I, and I think you, you very well get a great chance that money you're putting down that you're going to collect on it because I would not be surprised. Yeah, and Alina Haba has, even after hitting, being hit with a million dollars in sanctions for that frivolous lawsuit against Hillary and you and everybody else in the universe, they she's resurrected that lawsuit. Yes. Uh, yep. In light of the Durham findings, uh, which is uh, going to be fun. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if she gets hit with more sanctions. Well, I mean, the talk about doubling down on idiocy. Um, hey, a million bucks isn't enough. I, I, I need I need more sanctions, please. So, well, but there, anyway. and the point is, at least, you know, you know, where you stand in the in the sort of orbit around Trump. She's not going to pay. A pity of that. Unlike the 18 co-defendants in Georgia who ain't, you know, poor Jen Ellis who's like, Jesus, take the wheel, legal defense fund. They are not, Alina Haba's not paying for this. It's going to be the mom and pop MAGA donor who are scraping together five bucks and they chip in to like donate because they want a picture of Trump on a t-shirt saying never surrender and they forget to uncheck the give, you know, every month block. And so they're out, you know, God knows how much money to help pay for all this bad behavior and these crimes. So alleged crimes. So we'll, you know, it 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 never gets old. They do it because they can. They do it because these sanctions at the end of the day, as bad as they look and as much as we look and say, oh, it's awful, it's a million dollars. They don't care because it doesn't matter because they're not paying it. It's passing through these donations from MAGA mom and dads across America who are paying for this bad behavior and probably don't know. And maybe some, frankly, maybe some do know and don't care, but it just the whole thing is such a grifting racket. It repulses me. Yeah, is what Speaking it is. of grifting, grifting <laughs> rackets, what's going on with George Santos? George Santos, dude. So yeah, <laughs> we the, have an the, update. The grift of the grift. It's like the postmodern grift after uh, after the Trump model. He's taken it to the sort of like over the top extreme. So, Justin, Justin is where uh, this is Tuesday morning. So yesterday, uh, the Justice Department asked for there was a Thursday hearing schedule in the criminal fraud case. Remember, George Santos has been charged by the feds for uh, criminal fraud. There's a hearing this Thursday, and DOJ came in in a joint motion asking for a delay until October 27th, so a whole month and a half. And this is joint filing saying, the parties have continued to discuss possible paths forward in this matter. The parties wish to have additional time to continue those discussions. Now, ordinarily, what that means is we're close to a plea, that there is some, they, they want to be able to certainly not waste the court's time, but there's some movement that when you do this, and again, it wasn't just one party or the other, it was a joint motion, that there's some indication that they, in, unspoken, but reading the tea leaves, that there's a potential plea. Now, one of the reasons that's really important is if Santos pleads to a federal crime, you're going to have a special election up in New York, and you're going to have one pretty soon, You know, potentially as early as you know whether spring 2024, um, because that, that seat will uh, turn over. So, 
uh, a lot of movement well, there. What does, if he if he pleads guilty, is he automatically out? He's not automatically out. I don't I don't know how that works. If he and and McCarthy needs the, his the vote. Timing. McCarthy absolutely needs his vote, but I don't think it's up to McCarthy. I think it varies state by state in terms of what in terms of the replacement and if the governor names a replacement and when and if that's something we can you know look up and we'll well give you the answer. I will make a a, a to do check item on find out what happens in the timetable if Santos is found guilty. But I do think- Part of the plea part of the plea could be you have to resign. We'll find out. It could be part of it, but I think there may be some you know mandatory, compelling uh, need that he is removed and not just a, you know, a, 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 a sort of something that Kevin McCarthy or the party does in Congress. So anyway, I will, I will find out that information. We will give you the answer a week from now. Yeah, because I, I imagine, yeah, because I, I, I'm having flashbacks now to Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman saying, we're close to a resolution with Mr. Giuliani, True. which immediately all went to shit uh, <laughs> after probably they learned that he had destroyed or hid or, you know, whatever, you know, information from them. But, uh, you know, DOJ operates a little differently. If it weren't in earnest, I don't think DOJ would be talking uh, at all. But I don't think there's an automatic removal mechanism here if he is pleading guilty. Um, so, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll find out what happens with his seat. He may get to plead guilty and stay in Congress. It may be part of the deal that he resigns. Uh, they did that with Spiro Agnew back in the day. Um, but, you know, because the whole point is to get elected to Congress, then you're in and you can't be removed unless you're expelled by Congress. Uh, you know, and that's not going to happen with with McCarthy here. Like I said, he desperately needs that vote. And maybe those uh, negotiations include him as well. But we'll we'll like you said, we will find out and report it to you. Um, OK, finally, uh, Sidney Powell, the Kraken strike force, elite strike force. <laughs> she has filed to postpone her Smartmatic defamation suit for 90 days while she goes on trial for her felony racketeering charges down in Georgia. So, you know, typical lawyer stuff. <laughs> um, but there's there's also uh, something else going on here, right? The judge has already kind of come back, Pete, with uh, with something in this in this particular fine because it yeah. just happened today. Absolutely. Well, so it wasn't the judge. It was uh, it was a simultaneous filing or a subsequent filing by Smartmatic. And they said, hey, look, while ah. you know, while while Sydney is filing this. So, oh, by the way. Uh, Powell's refusing to produce, you know, talking about scofflaws and discovery like Rudy, uh, Powell's refusing to produce relevant um, material that she should produce. She, This is, again, from Smartmatic's filing. Powell objected to all of Smartmatic's requests and produced only 112 pages of documents. Powell Whoa. responded that she would provide discovery only regarding where she physically stood when she defamed Smartmatic on November 14th, 15th, and 16th. She's withholding all other information that bears on the court's exercise of personal jurisdiction. And she also, uh, and then finally, this is the really interesting point. She also a failed to provide a privilege log for the document she's withholding as privilege, and b is refusing to appear for a deposition. Yeah, and this is a joint email summary. Powell confirming that she quote opposes a deposition because the interrogatory responses, documents, and the sworn declaration provided disclosed her location in connection with her alleged defamatory statements. And that's clearly that's not that's not that's not the way it works. And I suspect. Uh, you know, at a minimum, at a minimum, you know, she will she will need to sit down for a deposition, and I would be very surprised if the if the court doesn't order that. Whether or not they give her her stay because she engaged in so much other crime, I, you know, at some point, you know, for Sidney Powell at least, if you read some of the reporting coming out, a lot of the recent activities from Jack Smith at the federal level, a lot of interest in Sidney Powell. So you know, again, much like. You know, so many of these folks, their their problems are only Sydney's problems are only starting. I think Sydney is facing a lot of, you know, criminal exposure, in my opinion, at the federal level. And that's part of the argument for, you know, to hope Smartmatic in the court would say is like, look, I you know, we can't do this person, you know, engaged in alleged criminal activity. There's also media reporting about additional criminal activity. If we want to pause this lawsuit for her to get through all the trials for her criminal activity, we're gonna be coming back here in twenty twenty eight. So don't do it, Judge. So we'll see we'll see whether or not you know, what the ruling is on that. But God, this is yeah. going to end up just like Rudy. Uh, I think, you know, it's, this is the same story as what Rudy was trying to do to, to Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman in their defamation suit. This is Smart Maddox defamation suit against the Kraken. 
And uh, if you're not producing discovery and refusing to sit for a deposition um, based on, you know, what you say might be used against you in a court of law, you don't want to have a negative inference because you plead the fifth, which can happen in a civil case. Um, You are allowed to take a negative inference uh, when you when you plead the fifth in civil trials, not criminal trials, but civil trials. Um, And we saw this happen with Eastman, too. Eastman wanted to postpone his disbarment hearings because he didn't want to say shit that could incriminate him and his other criminal stuff. And the and the the Bar Association of California is like, no, bro, no, you got to you got to do it. And uh, so here we are. And I I don't think that uh, I don't think the judge is going to go is going to take too kindly to 112 pages produced in discovery by Sidney Powell. Uh, Again, we'll keep we'll keep you posted on the decision here. But man. That is some yeah. that is some hardcore breaking news. Yeah, and again, Smartmatic uh, very much. If you compare the legal teams, that Smartmatic is bringing their case against the legal team that Cindy Powell has defending her. You know, Smartmatic had much like Dominion has really really good attorneys, and they're not going to play around. And I think you know some of this BS that they might try and you know the the elite strike force lowering, as Jenna Ellis uh, called it. This isn't going to fly, and so. I would expect Smartmatic has a uh, a number of paths forward that are going to be helpful. And so I do have, if you want it now or we can wait, I have the answer on whether or not what happens to members of Congress upon conviction of a crime. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to wait until- Yeah, no, let's, let's oh, do So that this now. is a CRS report. So, and I'll just read from this. As to conviction of a crime, members of Congress do not automatically forfeit their offices upon conviction of a crime that constitutes a felony. No express constitutional disability or disqualification from Congress exists for the conviction of a crime other than under the 14th Amendment for certain treasonous conduct by someone who has taken an oath of office to support the Constitution. Members of the House are, however, instructed by House rules not to vote in committee or on the House floor once they have been convicted of a crime for which the punishment may be two or more years imprisonment. Furthermore, under party rules, members may lose their chairmanship of committees, which doesn't apply with Santos, or ranking member status. So it it we'll wait and see. But I mean, they, certainly there could be the issue. Oh, of he like, wouldn't okay, be able to vote. He wouldn't be able to vote. So yes, you couldn't remove him. But if he's just sitting there, I mean, it's it's a it's a loss, right? I mean, that's a minus one vote in the in the Republican column. So you know, there may be some calculus. Okay, if there's a special election, is it likely to be? You know, who's going to replace him? Is it going to be a Democrat? Is it? Is it, you know, if you lose a vote from your column, that is bad, but it's not as bad as losing a vote from your gaining column and gaining one in the Democratic in the side. So so we'll see. And I'm sure, you know, as this uh, gets closer, uh, you know, a lot of folks will look through sort of the permutations of what might happen. And we'll, we'll bring that all to you as we cover all the crime in and around <laughs> Trump. Welcome to find out, Bill. Um, but, you know, also that's a that's a House rule. The House can change that rule, <laughs> but not with his vote. <laughs> right. So we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. We'll report it here on Clean Up on All 45. What an episode. What a week. We would be back. Uh, and you know what I was thinking is with the bonus episode, maybe we should cover a topic that we don't normally cover uh, on, on the main episodes, because it seems like it felt like this week we were just kind of doing a little bit of reiteration on what we talked about, albeit with more swearing on the bonus episode, but maybe we should cover something ancillary that we wouldn't necessarily cover on the main episode so that those who are paying for extra for that bonus, um, you know, who are uh, patrons and getting that bonus episode uh, are getting something new, uh, totally new uh, that we can swear about. I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, uh, let us makes, know. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense to me. I was thinking too, like, you know, there were some, um, what is coming up, Judge Ludig and uh, I think uh, uh, Lawrence Tribe filed, uh, wrote a big article talking about the prospect of the 14th Amendment disqualifying Trump from office and whether that is uh, self-affecting, whether it just you know automatically happens and that one or more states are likely to say Trump is not eligible to be on the ballot because of the 14th Amendment and Ludig was, I think he was on uh, Deadline White House or on MSNBC in any case, and in, in, in an interview said that he expected it to be before the Supreme Court very soon, but, you know, in anticipation of one or more states making this argument. So, you know, perhaps that um, or other things, but yeah, absolutely right. Listeners, patrons, patrons, please let us know. What do you want to hear? And, uh, you know, happy to throw that in there, but I think it makes sense to, you know, not give 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 a little special bonus for the folks. Yep, absolutely, and it is a, a, a like we usually go for like a half hour. It's a full on thing. So if you're if you are if you're a two dollar an episode 
contributor, you get twice as many episodes. Um, so we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to set up another Zoom happy hour call here pretty soon, and we'll let everybody know who's a patron. Look for that in your email box. Check your junk, as I like to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for this week. We will be back next week. Uh, I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Struck. And this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.